play I showed. My, my brother didn't even know I did this fucking show, and he's no. on Facebook all the time. Uh, how do you not realize that? Because I, I feel like I post about it quite a bit, and uh, I showed him because uh, he he doesn't understand really what a podcast is. So I okay. showed him the YouTube video, and like he was watching the intro, and his first thing like through his stoner eyes is like, "Are you reading off something?" I'm like, yes, Josh, I'm reading off of something. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Coworker popped in uh the other day. Like, hey, I, I heard your uh your podcast, the uh the the one where you talk about Shakespeare. It's like, man, I feel the exact same way, but about like and it rattled off some clat like, you know, Mozart and and Beethoven, like I feel the exact same way. Like they're good, but it it stops you from like if you engrandize them then it stops you from realizing that they're just people who worked really hard and you could do that too and that was it end of story no i, I, I actually really enjoyed that episode though i hope <laughs> you're gonna talk like because the one person who like i am continually amazed with is fucking beethoven because he <laughs> couldn't even fucking hear the music he was writing he's like this vibration sounds correct <laughs> it's but like that's like, just imp- like Grant, i know anyone could do it but like especially at the time like okay that's pretty impressive yeah i the guy I designed the card game with as an engineer and um i recently my wife's an audiologist he's very overqualified and, for that for that job of designing a board yes. game. <laughs> um my wife just tested my hearing and i have a weird uh notch of where i can't hear in my left ear sounds around 2000 hertz um, I actually have to go get a follow-up. It's probably just like some... Uh, it seems like it's very high-pitched, though, isn't it? Well, that's it's still in the range of human speech, so mm-hmm. it's not um, super high, but it's higher than a lot. But then, you know, I'm telling Willie this, and so he starts going, okay, 440, uh... Okay, so it's right around there. Uh... <laughs> Well, now that I know that, I'm just going to start fucking with you and just stop talking at certain times and keep moving my mouth. What? Huh? <laughs> just sound like an old Jewish man. I'm uh, sorry. What'd you say? That's my bad ear. <laughs> talking to my good side. <laughs> I need one of those hearing horns. Yes, just like Beethoven. I told Amanda if I ever lose my hearing, I'm going to get one of those. And she's like, well, I'm going to stop going outside with you. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. I probably had that coming. <laughs> but God, it would... So much comedy. Oh, I know. Used for that. Comedy gold. Yeah. Anyways, I guess I should introduce the show. Let me get the phlegm out of my throat. Uh, surprising that that did not peak my microphone. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Yes. We made it to 20. Yay. Like, no homers is crying in the corner right now because I only got to four. Don't! 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 Anyways, I'm Michael Vyers, and with me, as always, is a man that makes the shark and jaws look like fucking flipper, Nick Richards. Nick Richards. I said it for you this time. I got too excited, and I I always (laughs) write your name in my notes, and this is the first time I've ever actually said your name when you're supposed to introduce yourself. I I will say I was hoping for the reference of... um, uh, from which little mini thing? Oh, the crate, um, where uh, 
God damn it, I can't think of anything right now. The uh, Call I need Billy. to help him with yeah, the, I need to help him with everything kind of. I Where's my cake? <laughs> Anyways, uh, if this isn't spoilers, if, if this didn't give it away, or if you know actually read the title for the episode, uh, today's episode is a tribute. Like with Roger Moore not too long ago, we here at the Shameless Picture Show like to pay respect to those that have given us countless hours of entertainment. By now it's old news, but today's episode is a memoriam of the passing of filmmaker George A. Romero. Romero, being known as the father of the modern zombie, was an independent filmmaking trailblazer and has made some of the most biting, pun intended, films <laughs> you've ever seen that are filled with his unique view of the world and ooze of social commentary. He was a legend and he will be missed. I can't even imagine that I that I created, you know, a creature of any kind. They're they're zombies. They just happen to, you know, be white. They don't work in a cotton plantation. They're blue collar monsters. Uh, before we get on today's topic, Nick, I believe Romero is one of your more favorite horror filmmakers as well. Do you have a favorite of his? Uh, I mean, so many good films, but and it's it's the go-to answer. But Night of the Living Dead, of course, it's it introduced me to how deep horror films could be um that that horror films didn't have to be just you being afraid of death or harm that it could be infused with with all of the social commentary that he's known for um to this day when i talk to anybody about the walking dead i his name and that film get brought up because it mirrors the concept that the the film wasn't really about the zombies. That the yeah. zombies were just an external stressor to talk about what's going on with the relationships between the the people. No, I agree. Like, I know most um, people I know prefer Dawn of the Dead. Which I just recently rewatched, and I still really like it, though I've got some qualms. I still think Night of the Living Dead is uh, a perfect film because it's one of those movies that, like, when I first saw it, I just, like, you know, I just thought, oh, here's a really uh, kind of spooky zombie film, and not realizing all the layers that were in that film, what he was trying to say, what he was commenting on. But it's one of those films that, like, once you learn more about it and learn more about like what was going on especially at the vietnam war and what and such at the time um it's it's really impressive just like how he wove everything in plus just the diy aspect of it like i love looking at pictures of the production of that film where you know he's just standing there with his with his 19 like 1930s bolex camera just popping off shots himself and yeah. it's a master class for filmmaking like some people would see this as a as a negative thing, but I don't. Um, when I first saw the film, which I think I've talked about on a previous episode, I saw it on a now defunct channel known as G4, which is a video yep. game channel, with Mark Borchardt hosting it. Uh, <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw the film, um, and uh, as I watched it, like I was, you know, this was when I was still unsure whether or not I wanted to go to film school. But like, as I was watching this movie, I was like, I could do this. I, as, as I was watching him make this movie, I was I was like watching how it was constructed. And I don't mean I can do this as in like, oh, this is stupid. I can make this. It's more like I can see 
the strings of the marionette and while the marionette is still really impressive how it moves and i don't know if i can necessarily move it in the same way i can see it's like well it's just a puppet of strings maybe i don't have the craft this person does but i can move this puppet i can make this work and that's what uh i took away from it and you know and how like just little tricks that I learned, like the fact that like the zombies were just eating ham rubbed in chocolate sauce. It's like, but it was the most <laughs> grotesque thing I've ever seen. Yep, and and this film again, like the, that I appreciate when I notice it in other horror films. It's not about what you see; it's what about what it's about what you don't see. The mm-hmm. little hints, the the shadows covering the majority of it, that lets. You see just enough so that your imagination can fill in the gaps. Uh, if you show too much, then then it doesn't instill the same amount of fear. Because if you think about like the moments when you're ch- you're most afraid of that kind of horror when you're a child, when yeah. you're alone in your bedroom, it's not because you saw something horrifying. It's because of the shadow that creeps out from your cracked closet door. It's about the branch that's tapping on your window that might be something else. It's about what you don't see. Dwayne Jones, the actor who played Ben, was very concerned and almost the only one who was concerned about his being African-American. We were going, hey, come on, man, it's 1968. This, we're all past all of that. Little did we know, right? When we made the first print of that, of the movie, and we were driving it to New York to show it to potential distributors, um, we heard driving in the car. Uh, one of the producers, Russ Streiner and I, heard the news on the radio that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Now all of a sudden it was a black film. It became a black film. Even though when Jack Russo and I wrote the script, the character in the script, we assumed him to be white. When Dwayne agreed to play the role, we didn't change the script. The same things would have happened to him if the actor had been white. The fact that these redneck posse guys shot him that became racial instead of just a mistaken identity, which is really what we intended. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that people believe to this day that it's important. And in, in a certain way, it was a mistake. No, I agree. So we both agree that Night of the Living Dead is a fantastic film. And I, I guess I should elaborate real quick before people jump down my throat. It's not that I thought Dawn of the Dead was a bad film. There was times where I felt like some of the action was a little clunky, and just some like just there, there's just some clunkiness throughout it, and, and not in a bad like it's. I just don't want people to think the movie was bad because I as I watched it, I, I was I was reappreciating it in a way I had I hadn't before. It's just you know from a filmmaking aspect, there's some clunkiness in it. Sure. You know. It happens. We're none of us perfect. No. Like, I'm sure I couldn't do a better job either, especially because, you know, he shot it at night in a mall. <laughs> like, just on a sh- – like, I know he had a budget. I don't think it was a very large budget. You know, he did a lot with that film, and he had a lot to say, which is what <laughs> makes that film special is the fact that he had so much to say. I would I would love, like, you know, he's, he's putting together the budget. The Night of the Living Dead is a success. 
all right, I'm going to make another one. He's looking at a much bigger budget than he had the first time, and his thought of, that's going to buy so much ham. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I got I got 1.5 million. It's a lot of ham. <laughs> and Tom Savini is somewhere being like, you know, we could do this in color, right? And George Romero's like, ham. <laughs> it's it's the same thing. Whenever I watch Psycho, and I I imagine you know that that shower scene when the when the blood's going down the drain. Yeah. And um, we you know we found now that it's it's actually chocolate sauce, and it's because uh blood like uh, theatrical blood at the time didn't show on camera very well so they used chocolate sauce because it's it was a stark contrast so just the idea that it's chocolate just going down the drain i <laughs> i always imagine just like after the scene hitchcock just being like leave me alone for a minute and everyone leaves and he's just licking the drain it was is the time for cleanup because <laughs> that was when his wife had him on a diet and everything so he's like i need to get my chocolate <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> just like licking it like a kitty with a tiny little tongue all, all right fours in the in the shower yeah anyways enough of that uh i guess i should introduce what we're actually watching today well yes because it is not night of the living dead no it as is great not as that is because we've both seen it yeah it is on neither of our shameless nope but if it's on yours, stop this episode and go watch it. You can watch it on Shutter. You can watch it on Amazon. You can go buy a DVD from Walmart with like 50 horror films and it'll probably like be a on buck it. buck and a half, yeah. Yes, it's available. It's almost painfully available. Well, it's in the public domain. Yeah. Because of some improperly registered copyrights, um, Night of the Living Dead is in the public domain. Yeah, so you can find it online with a very quick Google search. It's actually a shame. He probably lost out in a lot of money because of it. Yep. But without further ado, on today's episode, we'll be discussing Romero's classic anthology film, Creepshow. Creepshow, made in 1982, was the brainchild of a trifecta of horror. George Romero as director, Stephen King as the screenwriter, and Tom Savini supplying the makeup. Creepshow was born out of Romero and King's shared love for classic EC horror comics and pays tribute to these classic books in its style and storytelling. Creepshow is an anthology film broken into five parts, plus a wraparound. These stories feature everything from cake-loving undead to a mysterious crate and even a man turning into a plant. Starring in the film is an assortment of notable names from Leslie Nielsen, Hal Holbrook, Tom Atkins, Ted Dance, and Adrian Barbo, and many more. So settle in, turn down the lights, and let's talk creep show. Coming soon. Jolting tales of horror. Creep show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, you'll scream at ghastly ghouls, cringe at weird kids, and shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Barrow. Creep show will grab you, grow on you, and give you 
the creeps. No, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creep Show, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. intro I've had to get to. <laughs> and it's just because I was reading faster than I was talking. It's where we've shifted over to recording these more in the morning because it it works a lot better for my schedule and, mm-hmm. and hasn't been problematic for yours, it seems. Um, but yeah, you get that early morning haze that we didn't necessarily have in our earlier episode. I've got coffee and a crusted clown mug, which we'll nice. not have to pay for because I showed it on camera. <laughs> Because we've always paid for all the Simpsons clips we use. Yeah, Matt Groening is probably he's probably an avid listener, and he probably gets I'm, he's just pissed off. I'm absolutely sure. Matt Groening, if you are actually listening, please contact us. That we have a lot we'd like to talk to you about. We have so much money with which to pay for those clips that we used. Tell you what, you come on you you come on the show and you talk about a movie you've never seen before. And we'll never use Simpsons clips ever again. I that is fair. That like yes, we want Matt Groening on, but we don't want to talk about the Simpsons. We want to talk about like tangent for a second. This is actually a dream of mine is to have one of the writers or one of the directors from the Simpsons on this show and talk to them about cinema because you can tell by just the references they use that they are all cinema nerds. Sure. Yep. Because they reference the most obscure stuff. <laughs> like i mean it it shows very clearly in the treehouse of horror episodes i still remember there's an itchy and scratchy episode it was koyana scratchy where it was a uh a riff of koyana uh, koyana scotsy and i was like someone besides me has seen this damn movie i have not <laughs> well it's a it's a movie about two hours of uh watching buildings while there's a, a epic philip glass score playing in the background that sounds like an excellent use of two hours. Uh, it was not easy to watch. <laughs> I'll be honest. Yes. But I, I now appreciate it because I know what it is. <laughs> but anyway, so if anyone from The Simpsons is listening, let me know. Actually, um, my uh, my I don't, I don't know if he knows anyone from The Simpsons, but the, my last solo episode I did uh, with uh, Brennan Klein of uh, Blumhouse.com. He used to transcribe episodes of The Simpsons. I'm not too sure for oh, who, yeah? but maybe he has a connection somewhere. Nice. Let's let's exploit that to its fullest extent. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, Creep Show. Creep Show. Okay, so Creep Show holds a special place in my heart for that kind of tangible media nostalgia reason. Okay. Um. One of my first, I believe it was my second job in high school. First job was at a feed mill. Second job. Feed mill. Was it, yeah, I'd sew up bags of grain and carry giant bags out to the car. And Did you have, like, feed. a piece of, like, straw out of your mouth and overalls? I, I did not. What I did have is a bunch of, like, you know, plain Hanes pocket t-shirts that I ripped the sleeves off of. Yeah, so sexy. it was very hillbilly it was a good luck that's how my dad dressed just every day <laughs> right 
That's the uh, the Midwest uniform. Yeah. Um, so my second job was Goodwill. Okay. I work donations at Goodwill. Um, I have some stories that are not appropriate for this podcast about that, but the ones that are good is that I would see all of this great movies and records come through, and we didn't really get first dibs at it. We had to price it and get it out on the floor, but if it was still out there, by the time you took your lunch break, you could go grab it, right? So one of the many things that I got while working there was two... Thick clam plastic clamshell cased creep show and creep show two. Hmm. And I I watched them a couple times and they sat in my collection. But then when we moved to Michigan, um, it it was getting to be fall and I was making up a big batch of chili and I put creep show on in the background and there was something so beautiful about watching creep show while i was making chili that from that point on every time i made chili i watched creep show <laughs> i i love that story uh <laughs> side tangent real quick about goodwill goodwill used to be a great place to find like weird vhs tapes even more recently oh, yeah. and like occasionally i'd find some obscure horror films as well from what i read somewhere goodwill is no longer like they'll still take it but anything rated r they get rid of Hmm. Uh, they don't and they don't keep VHS tapes. They just throw them away. And uh, I think they're even phasing out DVDs because there's fewer and fewer. <laughs> yeah, them. they probably don't sell. People aren't into physical media anymore. No, a... yet they still got a huge collection of polka records. That's something. They they move <laughs> and Christmas albums. Christmas al- There's so Cri- many Christmas vinyl. <laughs> There's so many. And actually, the one time I was at Goodwill and I found a record I legitimately wanted, uh, it was um, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival's Cosmo Factory. I got nice. I was so excited. I got home, opened it up. There was a fucking Christmas record on the inside. Ah, always got a check. Yeah, always got a check. I didn't think of it. Like, wh- why would there be a Christmas record inside of my CCR record? <laughs> but there was. And it wasn't even a good one. I got It was like Perry Como or some shit. <laughs> I got uh, a Christmas vinyl from Goodwill once only because it was like that clear red material. Ooh. And I melted it a little <laughs> bit in the oven over a bowl. And so it, it, you know, the edges drooped down and wrapped around the bowl, let it harden. Red Christmas record bowl. Look at you. Look at you. Isn't that some Instagram shit? Yeah. You can no, put- I'm sorry. Pinterest. That's just Sorry. gonna say my wife's obsessed I don't, with Pinterest. I don't know my apps. Oh, my wife's obsessed with Pinterest. She got most of our wedding ideas from Pinterest. Yeah. But I feel like we should get back the creep show again. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh Creep we Show don't, people don't like tangents in their podcasts. I do. But anyways, uh Creep Show is a movie I had never seen. It's on my shameless. And I, I kept asking myself after every segment, why haven't I seen this? Why haven't I seen and it's like it's one of those movies I've owned forever. Okay. And I should have seen this movie at least two years ago. Because, uh, excuse me, Amanda took me to a triple feature at a drive-in that I was super excited for because it was Return of the Living Dead. It was Creepshow. And then they're showing the new, uh, and they actually had a print of it, 35 millimeter print of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
Nice. That they just like remastered and everything. They changed. That could almost be considered a septuple feature. Almost. Because you have the five mini movies yeah. that comprise Creepshow. But anyways, they changed the order around because they actually got Linnea Quigley to come out and sign autographs, and she didn't want to okay. stay long, so they showed Return of the Living Dead first. <laughs> and then he's like, well, most people came here for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so let's show that second. <laughs> and then Creepshow was last, and it started to rain, and yeah. it was like in Illinois. So it's like, oh, it's going to be like at least a two-hour drive home, and it's like, oh, we should probably leave. So I never got to see Creepshow then when I should have. But the the I guess my 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 feelings toward the movie is once again why haven't I seen this movie previously? <laughs> I I really loved this movie. It's it's such an interesting combination of comedy and cheese and horror and it cheese. never takes itself too seriously. But there are some legitimately dark moments in it. It's it is fun if you can say nothing else about this film which i can but you cannot argue that it isn't fun yeah and uh one of the segments made a man to have to go take a shower <laughs> hold on uh that's got to be the lonesome death of jordy Verrill. no 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 that one makes me want to take a shower it was they're creeping up on you oh yeah <laughs> she's got a thing against bugs <laughs> which i've got a great story about that segment whenever we get to it or we can just jump around however you want to do it um should we go segment by segment talk about the film as a whole let's first talk about the film as a whole then we'll break it down segment by segment okay well one thing i first thing i, I feel like i need to talk about is uh how great the score was for this film oh yeah uh, I, I i as much of a musician as i am I tend to focus so much on narrative and dialogue and stuff that my my ear doesn't go to that. Like I, it's it's still a part of the entire thing, but I don't pick up on it as in, in an analytical way. No, it just it, it just it it, it kind of going off what you said before. The, the, the score was just fun. It just had this great quality to it. There's times where it's creepy. There's times where it's overly synthy, which, uh, for anyone who knows me, knows that I, I, I like me the synth quite a bit. Um, synth pads. I, I love me the synth quite a bit. So uh, John Harrison did the music. And like I just re- found myself really liking it when I was researching this film and just you know trying to read up a little bit about it. I found um, a company called Waxwork. They do a lot of um, horror vinyl. They just okay. put the score out, and someone I follow on YouTube uh, has some good microphones, and excuse me, um, just recorded the record spinning and the mu- and all the music. So I was listening to their version of the record, and it just was it was a good time. Awesome. That's all I could say. So <laughs> I'll have to check that out in a little bit. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably pop some of it in throughout the episode, just because. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed and speaks to the <coughs> their um, desire to make it feel like a comic book mm-hmm. was the dramatic colored lighting that they used. Yes, and then like how it was triggered by like moments. So it wasn't like it wasn't like a Nicholas Winding Refn's movie where you you just walk in and you've got crazy lighting to begin with. It's like 
someone discovers something and it's like (laughs) you'll have like harsh blue coming in from the left and a really violent red coming in from the right and so that you get a two-tone effect on the face and and in the setting and um for those it it harkens to those panels in the comic book you know you'll have your your six on a page and then you turn to a full page of this epic reaction shot with with this dramatic coloring it, it, and that was what they know to, exactly what they're going for in those moments and that was one thing i have to say about this you could tell that both romero and king are are comic nerds because there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of comic book movies but rarely do they ever feel like a comic book but right. just the, like through uh their the the shot choices and some of their establishing shots and camera angles it just felt like living comic book panels and i especially love like near the end of every segment where they like someone would react and like you'd get like a, that really crazy colored backgrounds and everything of like lightning bolts and whatnot and like it almost yeah. like a freeze frame it uh, goes goes into an animated version of the still frame to mm-hmm. transition out the only way i can describe it and i'm sure once i make this reference people will look will look up the uh the, the artwork for it. it reminds me of like the cover for the movie blackenstein where okay, just like yeah. someone reacts and there's a colorful background because on, on the cover there is a really striking african-american woman just scared and like there's all completely blue background i don't know that makes no sense but <laughs> uh they also did it um they used a lot of uh flashbacks in father's day in particular but whenever they did flashbacks they would actually create like a comic book panel frame to go around it so that you're it and it felt like a nice way to frame it to, a nice way to throw in some comic reference without going too comic booky you know throughout the main part of the story yeah and I'll, meanwhile meanwhile <laughs> i also have to say like i appreciated anytime they went to like their animation and like were showing like the animated panels because it you could tell that it was actually animated by real anime like i i absolutely hate and i'm gonna go on a tangent here for a second um when some movies do these comic book transitions because they can tell they're done completely on computers and they don't look good uh i'm looking at you walter hill uh he uh (laughs) calling you out calling you out especially because like this pisses me off walter hill he wanted to do this back in 1976 with the warriors he wanted it to be to feel like a living comic book cool he wasn't able to do that back then that's fine but he decided you know what i'm good it's 20 2003 2004 i'm gonna do it now but he did it all with looks like someone did it on like on like adobe illustrator so and it's like a really bad comic book transitions where like freeze frame and then it'll go into like a adobe illustrator like drawing of the person and change comic book panels and it just fails it fails yeah. in every way, but he thinks it's so great. You can't get the original cut of the Warriors anymore because he thinks this version is superior. So not only did you do a very stupid-looking comic book movie, but you won't give us the original film. I don't normally like to speak ill or uh, of, uh, of other <laughs> filmmakers, but this has just really been pissing me off. Especially because you look at I, – I see Creepshow and how well it's done. Yeah. Granted, but Romero had wasn't... like $8 million to make this film, but yeah, sure. still – yeah. I don't know. Like I like I just like how well it was done in Creep Show and it really makes it painfully obvious how bad it was done in Warriors cuz I I was defending Walter Hill's vision for a little bit cuz I thought well, maybe that's just the best they can do. I've seen it done better now, Walter yeah. Hill. 
And I love you, Walter Hill. You've made so many great movies, but God damn it, let us see the original Warriors. He wouldn't feel that passionately about it if it wasn't done out of love. Yes, especially because I just saw the Warriors in the theater and it was the theatrical cut. And I was like, God damn, this movie's perfect. I, uh, sorry, I'm also eating breakfast right now. Um, what you eating? I, I have a banana splat. What the it's fuck is that? bananas, a... sliced bananas, yogurt, granola, sliced strawberries, honey. All right, that sounds good. Continue. Now, now I have some granola caught in my craw. Okay, look at you and your ah. your your eastern shore of Maryland <laughs> words. Actually, that's one from the homestead. That's one that I learned growing up on farms in Illinois. Really? I assume craw was crawfish. No, uh, like the, I think it's in reference to a, maybe chickens oh. or something. You're, you're Fair enough. Is a, anyway, I could be wrong about that, but um, it, if you peruse my shame list available, at, uh, speaking of which, I want to ask about that list uh, website you were talking about before but the warriors is on my shameless oh then we might have to do an episode so you can feel as passionately as i do yeah <laughs> um so at uh <clears throat> i will tangent off of my tangent have we gotten our stuff up on what list doodle it's or <laughs> letterbox no i keep forgetting to do it because while i can do it on my phone it's it's a little more difficult to do, so I just need to sit down at my computer and take care of it. It's letterboxed, but it's like B O X D. Okay. I will if I have time, I'll check it out and try and set that up. Cool. Like I'm, I have I have an ongoing list on there of like 300 films of like my, my 300 favorite films. I'm trying to get up to a thousand. I'm trying to show, nice. I'm trying to show Edgar right up because he did a list of a thousand. So I'm trying to see so if I can do the same. Thousand and one. <laughs> Well, his his is constantly changing, so he probably chose a thousand because it's a good arbitrary number. But I'm just trying to see if I can get up to a thousand. Uh, so back to our overall uh, opinions on Creep Show. Something else that I noticed is there are few to no sympathetic characters in this. No, almost everyone. Everyone is, is horrible. There's characters there... I like, but they're still terrible. Yeah. Like the closest one to it is Jordy Verrill, who of course is played by Stephen King, um, but he's an idiot. You know, does that make him a bad guy though? It doesn't, but extremely flawed, and yeah. and and not. He doesn't have any strong redeeming characteristics to make him more than just a stupid hayseed. Yeah, actually, the, not... the Wikipedia describes him as a dim-witted backwoods yokel. <laughs> ah, so I got it wrong with Hayseed. Hayseed was a good one. <laughs> uh, the, I guess uh, the two characters, I f like, even though they weren't uh, great people, that I, I felt myself um, siding with yeah, was... Uh, was... Uh, ted danson's character and something to tide you over because it's like i don't know like he was a cocky dick though in the beginning He's he like, was yep. but like 
It's all for yep, love, I'm God damn it! With your woman. It's all for love, God damn it! I didn't say he. I didn't say I necessarily completely loved him, but you know he's someone. Yeah. And then the, plus he's Ted Danson, who's extremely charming in that early '90s way. Yeah, and he didn't. He didn't have that terrible ponytail that he had for a little while. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he had that. He for a little while he had a really terrible ponytail. And uh, there's a, one a movie specifically that a buddy of mine showed me that where he had this terrible ponytail. Let's see if I can remember the title of it. I'm actually checking my Letterboxed right now. It is uh, Getting Even with Dad with Macaulay Culkin. So Ooh. he had like his normal fucking like Ted Danson hair. Right. But then he had a ponytail in the back. And it was oh, really terrible. Glorious. I think it was terrible, but, you know, glorious works too. <laughs> I wanted to see him like once or twice just without that ponytail just to see if it looked still like a mullet. But yeah, you know. <laughs> and then the only other two characters I really ended up liking. Originally, I was gonna say the the little kid Billy, but he turned out to be kind of an asshole in the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, was Hal Halbrick in the crate? So Henry Northrup, right. because like his wife Billy was a was terrible. She was so terrible it made him seem less terrible. Right. And yeah. and then obviously Mike the janitor. Yeah. He didn't want to lose his quarter, or else he couldn't get a soda. <laughs> Oh, poor janitor. I know. It was worth it. <laughs> like, they, you'd think they would just, get, you know, give him a couple free pops for a night, but no. He has to pay <laughs> for it himself. Uh, maybe they give him the quarters. <laughs> maybe. Here's your quarter. Compensation program. Yep, Don't there you lose go. it. <laughs> Don't let it roll under that whopped off area under the stairs. And I was flipping my coin to see if I should uh, uh, wax the upstairs or not, and and Dan thing rolled away. I don't know if that's exactly what he said, but it was within that those that those within that area. I'd have to check IMDb. Is that the same? Have, have you seen Arachnophobia? I did when I was a kid. Okay, I think that may be the guy that plays the the old doctor in Arachnophobia. I'm looking it up and. Whenever I think of the movie Arachnophobia, the scene that immediately pops into my head is when that character gets bit by a spider, and he's working out or something, and he swats at it, and he's, oh, damn, damn, and then his wife, what was, I don't know, it bit me, it felt like a goddamn cougar. I had completely forgot that line existed, but I'm looking him up now. Uh, he did, he was in one episode of ER, so he's got that going okay. for him. Uh no, between Creepshow and 1997, which was his last thing, I do not see arachnophobia. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe I just conflated him with someone else. It could be. His name is uh, is Don Kiefer. So. But no, I agree. There's not a whole lot of likable characters. There's, there's <laughs> characters I like. Fun. There's characters yeah. I like, but they're not likable. That you love. Um, I think it works because of these short little... You know, if it was a, a single long arcing story, you might get kind of burned out on the... But because you're only seeing them for short pockets of time, it's fun to see these horrible people do horrible things. You know who who is... is uh, we could go as far as to say it's possibly a likable character because while there's nothing redeeming about him, there's nothing negative against him either. Ed Harris okay. in Father's Day. He goes so far yeah. as even to check. He goes goes so far as even to go check on the aunt in the cemetery. Yeah, I'll buy it. Any dances? Okay. He's got some good I dance was, moves. I I have a feeling we're we're now since Father's Day is the first one, 
and we brought up Ed Harris. I say we dive into Father's Day, and of course, you have to start with Ed Harris's disco dance sequence. Yeah, because he's got really piercing eyes and everything, and like. And there's those like POV shots from the other dancers' perspective of him looking right into the lens oh, while he's getting down. So great, <laughs> so great. Um, so what what did you think of uh, of Father's Day, Nick? My absolute favorite element of this is, you know, okay, it's a it's a zombie tale um, that kind of speaks to uh, internal family struggle. It talks about um, kind of how people are treated in life and then what happens after they die and, and how family treats each other after somebody dies, especially when there's money involved. So you can easily construct a really nice, you know, story around that. And then <laughs> there's this cake element. Where's my cake? You promised me my cake! Bedelia, I'm your father, and you're supposed to be taking care of me. That that what brings this dead, angry old man back from the dead isn't, I mean, it's subtext is that he's resentful over his children, but it's the cake. He wants the cake. Where's my cake, Bedelia? Where's my cake, you bitch? <laughs> uh, I need to first mention this was this was Amanda's fa uh, favorite segment, uh, but the cake thing is. I uh, I've read enough Stephen King. At least I I really like his short stories. Sometimes I feel like his books can be his his full length books can be a little long winded. But I really like his short stories. And this is that cake element is so so Stephen King that it's not even right. funny. Like if I wouldn't even know Stephen King was involved in this, I'd be like, oh, this is King esque. Just so, because somebody's ripping off King. Yeah, because oh it's like, oh, it's King ripping off King. Yeah. Uh, no, the, 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 the talking zombie I thought was great. I will say, though, I, if I was constructing Creepshow, you know, I would not have began with Father's Day. Okay. Uh, and I will explain why. I felt, you know, there's always a moment. I feel like you might get this sometimes, too, where, like, within – you sometimes – I don't want to say judge, but you start thinking about within the first five minutes, is this movie for me? You know, sure. like I really like the prologue with uh, Billy uh, uh, yeah. um, and actually who's Stephen King's son, by the way. Oh, really? Uh, so Joe Hill, a.k.a. Joe King, is <laughs> Billy, which I think is kind of great. So I was like, I really liked that. And I liked seeing Tom Atkins. He's reading this crap, this crap again. Yeah. Uh, um, and I guess maybe we shouldn't have jumped right into Father's Day because the the intro is... It's not important to understanding the story, but it's important to this. It's it's the framing device, yeah, through which all of these stories are told. But I guess what I'll say about Father's Day is like you know you had that opening, you had that establishing shot of this rich mansion and all these rich hoity-toity people sitting around drinking, talking like this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I Bipsy, bring the car around. I was thinking it's like automatically it's like. If they're all going to be like this, man, I'm not – I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it because, like, I, just, I could not relate to this setting at all. And, like, I don't know. I, I ended up really liking Father's Day 
but just like with its setup and everything, I just couldn't get into it. Like I would have started with something like uh, the the crate or the lonesome death of Jordy Vero first, and then gone in the Father's Day, just to give you something a little more grounded, not in the rich and rich lives of terrible people. <laughs> uh, or the terrible lives of rich people. That that works too. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's take a step back. We we talked a little about the intro. Um, I loved this as a framing device, and in between each segment, you did a little bit more of it. I loved how you you don't really see it in the intro, but just this framer overall. I love how the comic book and that skeletal character that is on the box cover yeah, which creeped the shit out of me. How the comic book without literally coming well like you see the the character at the end but that the comic book had a life Mm -hmm. that that it was alive and somehow corrupting this youth that it certainly seemed like the comic book is what made little billy an asshole by the end at first it's boy that the father character is so mean and just it's just a comic book what's the big deal and by the end it's like oh no that kid is a little shit <laughs> however i will have to say um romero's not really helping uh the fight on horror when he was like this comic book made this child evil these are evil <laughs> things look at what they do to the youth you're not really helping the genre right there romero i don't know it you see the same same thing in, in many other elements of pop culture, uh, punk rock, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, all Let's of go these back things to punk rock were, now. Uh, <laughs> the I think there's something that while you're not going to win over conservative parents, the the fact that it is taboo or or corrupting is part of the appeal to the people that enjoy it, I think. That's fair. Real quick, did anyone so, did anyone really think that Dungeons & Dragons was going to corrupt the youth? Because I got beat up for playing it. <laughs> yes, um, there was actually a really big, more from the religious conservatives, that felt that it was uh, devil worship. Oh. Because there were demons and devils in the in the late 70s early 80s there was uh, one particular case where it really boiled up of a college student i believe in michigan who um killed himself um actually i think there's some controversy over that too uh, i've looked up the story and now i don't remember which of it is fact and which of it is uh rumor that i've conflated into the whole thing um but for some reason, he, he had played a couple games of Dungeons & Dragons, but the story that got out in the media and, and through these religious conservatives um, that was that like he killed himself as a result of this devil-worshipping game. Whoa. There was, it, was, it was a big deal in the 80s. Is that why there are so many like metalheads playing Dungeons and Dragons for a while? Yep. <laughs> but see, I always just think of SLC Punk, where they're all like, <laughs> "I've got a really great dungeon to <laughs> don't touch my stereo, Bob." And, it was, it was, and there was something about Rush, like they're they really into Rush, and then he's like, "Rush is a very good band." 
No, I know, but trust me. Give me a chance. I don't even have to remember the wizards, scene. Wizards and elves, man. It sucks. We should be going to parties and getting laid. Nick, have you watched this movie recently? Uh, actually, I have not. I've just watched it so much that That's fair. it's one of those films that I could probably go verbatim through the entire movie without watching it. Maybe we'll do a special episode one time where we can see how long you can go in that movie. <laughs> you see what I mean? Posers. <laughs> Walk around saying things like, anarchy in the UK. What does that matter to us here in Utah? It was a Sex Pistols thing. They were allowed to go on about anarchy in the UK. <laughs> I told you. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. I, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but you're making me want to go back and watch it. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about... Oh, Billy the... and how in the corruption of youth. Yes. Um, this is very important. I get what you're saying. I guess uh, I just, like, I feel like especially in, uh, like, I don't want to say especially in the 90s because this has happened in every generation, but, like, I just remember that senator from Wisconsin who thought, like, Mortal Kombat was going to, is going to, like, melt young people's minds. Right. It's, it's, like you said, it's everything. Nowadays, it's, it's social media. Well, kids can't even interact with each other anymore because they do it all via text. It's just a different way for us to reach out to each other and communicate with each other. It's not worse. It's just different. You know what? Before we had telephones, it was all face-to-face. I'm sure when the telephone came out, there were groups, whole groups of people that were like, oh, now we're not going to be able to, you know. Every time there is a shift in how we communicate with each other, uh, the way that we derive our entertainment, the way that we interact with the world around us, there's a large group of people that think that the world is coming to an end. I think it just comes down to people being afraid of change. Absolutely. 100%. Maybe that's what maybe that's what Romero's commenting on. Billy didn't like change, so he killed his father. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Episode done. You're welcome. Credits, if we had credits. Anyway, so that's the prologue and epilogue. I also like to mention that uh, Tom Savini has a cameo as one of the garbage men in the end, which is kind of oh, great. Uh, I think it's nice. I think it's pre nose job Tom Savini too, so that's pretty great. Um, I love Tom Savini. He's he he was kind of a jerk to me one time when I met him, but he's done so much good stuff for the genre that I don't think I could ever like dislike him. Yeah. Um. So we touched on Father's Day. We touched on the prologue and epilogue. I'm going to go off on... This is the tangent episode, and that's okay. Cause, um, so last this last weekend, I was at Gen Con. The 50th anniversary of Gen Con. Woo! And I, you said that you know this is kind of on the topic of meeting personal celebrities. You know, even, even if they're not widely recognizable in the world. Um, I... I sat in a restaurant like two tables down from steve jackson who was the creator of munchkin yeah um so it i i didn't interact with him but it was one of those like i know who that guy is <laughs> you should have because we met each other at a restaurant and you just sat down at our yes. table yeah and we played cards against humanity yep. which was the point of my second part of the story in that i walked past Max Temkin, who was one of the creators of Cards Against Humanity at Gen Con, and I think 
upon recognizing him, I stared at him a little too long, and he noticed me staring at him, and gave me kind of this, oh god, somebody's looking at me, looks. And there was a beautiful moment where he's like, I think this guy might murder me or something, and then he passed on, and I went my way, I'm like, yep, that was Matt's tempting. And then, and then later on, you're like, just, you know, I'm just such a big fan, please don't, like, please don't think that I'm a weird guy, and then you close the trunk. Right. <laughs> Uh, you're clearly a writer. <laughs> yeah, because you had to end with the trunk being closed. Yep. I'll I'll tell Amanda all the time, like, and I I'll, I'll format like if I come up with a goofy idea, I'll format it as a screenplay. And be like, I got an idea. We open on this. Cut to and like <laughs> exterior, the desert, night. Nick is digging a hole while Max Temkin lies tied up nearby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bwah. That's a THS, THX logo coming up. <laughs> Open on a wide vista. <laughs> so it's, it's gotten to the point where she, she even she'll like when she's telling a story like and she just doesn't want to tell her everything in the middle. Like she'll she'll do time cuts just like I do where well she'll be like, oh, I was talking to Emily at work and blah, blah, blah. Cut to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Ah, film nerds. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, because of Spaceballs, I always go, nice dissolve. <laughs> there was some really great Spaceballs cosplay. There's the usual, like, you always have somebody dressed up as Barf. Um, my favorite, though, there were four guys in the, um, like, the, the, the equivalent of Stormtroopers with the big mm-hmm. white balls on their head. Yeah. There were four guys dressed in those uniforms, did a really great job. <laughs> I uh, I always wanted to do go as the great yogurt because his his costume is so perfect because it literally is just Mel Brooks on his knees, so like <laughs> you, you're not like cosplaying as a puppet or anything. You just you just have to be on your knees, and I think that's just amazing. Merchandising. <laughs> oh, I love spaceballs. Uh, yeah, even though this so episode's good. not about spaceballs. Uh, well, so getting bad. Have we already done? Yeah, we've already done like an hour, and we've only talked about the first of five <laughs> segments. But like so, Father's Day was good. It just wasn't my favorite. I it made me laugh, but I the I think the best stuff was Ed Harrison's dance sequence, and then the constant reminder that the zombie just wanted his cake. Ed Harris's dance make was great because at least the way I remember it, like he was just like he wasn't like moving his head much, and he was just like piercingly staring as he has moved his body. It was intense. It was, yeah. and I was like, oh. <laughs> If he wouldn't have died, he probably would have gotten laid. <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, so the next All right. is the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill, which is such a heartbreakingly depressing title. Yes. And I I believe that this was my favorite of all of the sequences. Uh, this, might, this might make sense. Maybe it won't. It's my favorite non-serious sketch. <laughs> Yeah, uh. like this is the one that made me laugh the most, and I was like, I I fucking love this, but like, we haven't gotten to it yet. But I think the crate is probably my favorite. Okay, I think with something, the, something to tide you over is about the third. Lonesome death had some unexpected depth to it that I I felt like I got a lot of bang for my buck in that in those five minutes. Um, 
there was a white father's day there just wasn't a whole lot of content which was okay it doesn't they don't all have to lonesome death i felt like i watched 20 minutes worth of film in five minutes and it didn't feel rushed dang it jordy <laughs> i'll be dipped in shit if that ain't a meteor <laughs> that's the uh, uh, and the uh, talking about the depth um the fact that like there's only two characters in this entire thing i thought it was, and, was great and one of them was only seen through Jordy's imagination. Yeah, like I, I thought, you know, it, it's actually kind of it's it, it, it's it's a really goofy sketch. And while I wouldn't say Stephen King is the greatest actor, he was the best person for this role. <laughs> Absolutely, um, you didn't need a brilliant actor. For no, though so I think you could have you could have subbed in Ed Harrison, still would have been pretty great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but like the thing I liked about it is. I, well, the reason why I think when Jordy Vero is one of the better characters in this is because, so I, while some people could say he's trying to exploit the idea that there's a meteor and everything, I just I took it as like he's not in a good place and he found his way out. And I love how his way absolutely, but his way out, like okay, so he goes, I I've got this meteor, I'm gonna be able to sell this and get out of my. So his like grand. I've got the solution to all my problems is I'm going to sell this for $200. I thought it was 500. No, he says 100 and he talks him up to 200. I wonder how much they'd pay for it up to college. I wonder how much they'd pay for it up to college. Well, damn fine one, Mr. Barrel. Uh-huh. $50 sound. Not a cent less than 200 bucks. 75. 200. Anita Vero didn't raise no idiots. Keep a count. Not a cent less than 200. My meteor, my price. You're right. And then, like, so it's like you get the idea that he wants enough to pay off his bills and buy a case of beer, and he's fucking good. He just wants to sit around <laughs> right. and watch wrestling, which yeah. I can relate to. Those cutaways of his his imagined interaction with this college professor guy who's supposedly going to buy or not buy this meteor were so revealing of Jordy's personality. Um, and at one point, I even I I'm 100 sure that this wasn't intended. Um, but I started to think because these visions were so vivid and changed dramatically based on his mood, like, you know, is there any chance that these visions are, are being amplified by the meteor shit that got on him? <laughs> it that... could be. My, my first thought was that Jordi Vero was like a great filmmaker in it, that, and he didn't even realize it because like his, his, his dreams right. were so like, you know, like the second one, like, or not maybe not the second one, but it was later on, like once Jordy had the stuff growing on him and he was imagining going to see the doctor and like you had that Dutch camera angle and you saw the doctor just wheel by in his chair <laughs> from, from, like, from screen left to screen. Right. And I'm thinking Jordy Burrow has the mind of a filmmaker. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and I meteor shit. <laughs> also, Stephen King's uh, idea of uh, a hayseed accent coming from the northern point of Maine, right. I thought was fantastic as well. He's the northernmost point of the United States. This is what a southerner <laughs> talks like. 
anyone south of here. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but no, I guess I, those cutaways, I think, are what really made this little bit work. And plus all the yeah. great effects and everything and like it it felt very isolating but through his imagination you still got some some width to the or i'll say uh, you got some scope beyond this little farmhouse but only through the portal of his of his mind you know what i something else Okay. Oh, I was gonna say what I, uh, it wouldn't work because each one of these is, is, is t I guess, is supposed to be a comic book panel. But like, I loved at the end when you saw, you know, the the his town starting to get covered with the the, the, the news report and the that plants and shit. I would have yeah. loved to like if like in the next one something to tide you over if you would have like just seen like some plants going down the the sidewalk in, in an establishing shot or something that like, would have been like cool. that that would have been fun i just you'll only catch if you're paying attention but it's out there ties them together yeah i think that i think that would have worked yeah. um just all it does is establish that you're in the same universe yeah which i uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of so something that i noticed about it is that even though everything was being covered in this meteor plant stuff meteor shit get it right meteor shit um jordy verrill that the we have no evidence that other than being fuzzy that it did anything bad to him didn't it kill him in the end no he killed himself oh shit you're right he 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 was a victim of his own imagination mm. it was it was all of these fears it was his overactive imagination combined with the fact that he had some plants growing on him that it, it and you heard it through the whole thing i'm so unlucky i'm so unlucky and then he pulls a shotgun up to his head and says please god let me be lucky this one time oh meaning shit. let let the gun hit the mark Maybe he could have just gotten a you know spray a little roundup on him and he would have been fine. Well, God damn it, Nick! You've you've just bumped this one from two to possibly one. Jordy Verrill is a lot the the character that they wrote and the situation that they set him in. He's a lot deeper than he seems on the surface. Stephen King would take the meatiest role for himself. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> but you don't see like. I, I've watched this God knows how many times, and I'm just now started to pick up on that. Yeah, wow! I wouldn't have caught that. That was that's a great poll, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I also like the cutaways to whenever they cut to the TV. At first, it was wrestling, but then there's this one where he's starting to get his beard is all fuzzy and stuff. And there's a TV rapper in that says he clicks the TV. Your troubles are over. Not true. And then they cut over to the plants growing and stuff. I think that was when he jumped into the, the tub. Yeah. All right. I don't really have much so, else to add on to uh, the lonesome death. Consider of that Jody microphone Vero. dropped. Well, I don't want to drop my microphone because it costs, <laughs> I assume, a lot. But, um, but that brings us to something to tide you over. Which is the punniest title of them all. Yeah. And... Can I just say, it, it's not his only serious role, but kudos to Leslie Nielsen. In the, he's always, 
in the 80s. He's always had a dry sense of humor no. and a, a very uh, straight man delivery. But that was a 100% dramatic role it, for him. It, and I think he did tremendous. I love Wesley Nielsen. And in the 80s, his, his serious roles were far and few between. Um, I could think of that one. He was also in, well, this one wasn't the 80s, but he was in the Poseidon Adventure, obviously. Um, he was the principal in Prom Night, <laughs> which I personally love. Uh, but no, I, I love that he, like, because when he popped on the screen, I'm, I just kind of rolled my eyes, like, oh, here he here comes. Here we go. And, Especially coming off of Lonesome Death of Jordy Barrel. Yeah, but like... Ted, like there wasn't a lot of comedy in this one, but Ted Danson had any of all of the any comedy bits. Like, the, and it, it was barely it barely registered as comedy. No, like, and Leslie Nielsen's like he. It's like I just kept thinking like they could have done a whole. They could have if they would have made Saw in the eighties, they could have just gotten Leslie Nielsen to play Jake Saw. Right. <laughs> because like, well, the setup for this at, I thought was great. You looked at the lineup of these, something to tide you over is probably the most serious, the most dramatic yeah. of of the set. And who did they cast in it? Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. Two well-known comedy personalities. Right. That, and that's a fascinating choice. Yeah. And I guess this one is, like, out of the five is definitely in my top three because um i really liked the setup of it the music i remember yeah. in this segment specifically was really haunting the idea that like um leslie nielsen's character was just so calm and collective the entire time when he had like and like i also loved like that like in the beginning when he comes over to ted danson's house and he was like he's like your cords aren't plugged in all the way i can't i'm surprised you didn't notice and like he's you can tell he's like he's super into like his television setups and everything and i was like hey yep. I, I i get behind this guy um and then like you find out his his crazy plan and um you know where he just wants ted danson to suffer roughly in the same way that he had to suffer and then you find out that he did the same thing to his cheating wife and it's like i don't know who to side with because on the one hand you want to be like well you know and i feel like part of this is because of the whole good guy ted danson thing because you you, ted danson is like he's at the time he was a person that you you know you knew you kind of trusted even if he was kind of slimy at times in some roles like he was ultimately a good guy and you just want to be like well ted danson did all this for love but then you realize oh wait he's cheating (laughs) he's uh and he's he's not super apologetic about it either he's saying we love each other so it's okay you didn't treat her right so it's okay yeah so it's like you didn't know who to who to side with but like i don't know i guess i usually side with the person who's about to be you know drowned and just like the setup was really interesting because like (laughs) you know leslie nielsen was pretty much like you can survive this and if you happen to survive i imagine if he would have survived he wouldn't have come after him a second time. It's like, you know, here's your chance. Well, this is, I mean, at its core, this is a retelling of the Telltale Heart. Yes. This is the, the. see, I kept my promise. Is that insane? I think is one of Leslie Nielsen's lines. I'm not crazy. Look at how not crazy I am. That's what the the uh, narrator in Telltale Tale Heart spends all this time doing is, look at how not crazy I am. Yep. As he's doing this terrible, crazy thing. And then after it's done, um, the guilt... Uh, now, in in something to tide you over, that guilt manifests uh, in a supernatural. But 
but actual danger. But it, it's that the guilt of what you did has come home to roost um, while you try and convince yourself and others of how sane you are. Yeah. And can I say, I, um, and this brings back in the dramatic colored lighting, uh, I absolutely love the last shot of t- living Ted Danson. They show the water rushing. Oh, with the head. water? Yeah. And then they cut to Leslie Nielsen, and then back to Ted Danson, fully underwater, dramatic colored lighting as he's, like, head, you know, buried up to his neck, and the, the last of the bubbles goes up as his hair floats around. <laughs> Yeah, they talk, he talked about, like, how they did that. And it was pretty much exactly as you'd expect. They put his head in the thing, and, like, they uh, that was waterproofed, and they, they filled it up full of water and were shooting it, and they had someone right off camera with a, uh, like, breathing mask. Okay. And I was like, oh, they just, back in the day, but you could just submerge Ted Danson in water. <laughs> yeah, you can't submerge Ted Danson in water anymore. No, he's too big of a star for that. <laughs> Uh, I also thought that the the use of this it's you know it's it's been done before, but I thought it was really effective use of those security cameras. Yeah. Um, and again, it's about what you don't see. It's it's showing you what isn't there, even though you know it's there, and it helps add to the that unsettling nature of of something dangerous could be right next to you even if you don't see it. Yeah, and I also love that they are able to, uh, you know, like, they they got both Galen Ross and Ted Danson dolled up in zombie makeup. and <laughs> Richard. And as a couple, they went and killed Richard. It's a couple that kills together, stays together. Yeah, pretty much. In the afterlife, they're going to be solid. <laughs> solid as a rock. Uh... <laughs> I, my last note for something to tide you over is uh, it's a, a little one. Leslie Nielsen, as he's finishing bearing Ted up to his neck, he has this great little like series of throwaway lines about like, is that camp or kitsch? I can never tell the difference between those. It shows <laughs> like where his mind is that like, even though he's angry and he's doing all of this out of and maybe anger isn't even the right word because he's doing it out of revenge. And he says specifically, that was mine. She was mine. You took that from me. I don't like when my stuff is taken. Yeah. Very possessive. Um, but then he goes on to this, like, this tangent about, is that tamper titch? I can never remember what the <laughs> difference between the two and when to, you know, is that who or whom? I'm not sure. <laughs> that i i got a real good yeah i remember that being pretty funny as well um so the next one is the crate and um which until i i screwed up and changed your mind you said was your favorite right yeah and uh and it's because one of the reasons is and the reason i like creep show as a whole is because there's a um for me anyways there is a difference between horror comedy and comedy horror Okay. And uh, I uh, and I feel like The Crate is the best uh, example of a horror comedy where it's a horror film that doesn't take itself too seriously, whereas a comedy horror is a comedy first with some horror elements. So, like... A scary movie. Yeah, or, like, 
my best friend is a vampire. It's an 80s comedy right. first with a couple right. horror elements, while as Creepshow right. is a horror film that's more lighthearted. And I think The Crate is, for my money, the best example of that, where it's fun, it's kind of creepy, um, there's some good deaths in it, and it's just, it's it's funny. And it's not because anyone says anything really all that funny, but just like, as you see everything progressing and uh, if, uh, Hal Hallbrook's character Henry, as you figure out like where his mind is going, his plan, right. and like once you get like a couple steps ahead of him, you start laughing. You're like, oh, I know where this is going. I don't well, know. and and unlike Jordy Verrill's like imagination cutaways, his are are very comedically structured. Where like, you know, and they're all uh, if you haven't seen it, there are all these setups of he's sitting there with his wife, Billy. Um, and he's basically imagining, okay, we're we're in this situation right now, and then his mind starts to wander. Boy, I'd love to just pull a gun out of off my hip and and shoot her dead in the middle of this cocktail party, and then everybody starts clapping like, oh, excellent, we all wanted her to drop dead from a gunshot wound. Thank you so much. You're our hero. And it was constructed so well because like they played as if that's what actually happened and then it cut back to back it cuts back to him just holding his drink and to, being yelled to, at to billy screaming right and then that look when they're clapping at that particular one his reaction isn't of like so much of relief that she's gone maybe for a second but then when everybody claps there's this like kind of humbled uh, like oh oh thanks uh, you didn't like uh whatever you know kind of look <laughs> on his no face thing. That, right it's so charming and sweet that it kind of softens up this weird it 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 doesn't seem like he's he's homicidal yeah you know even even though you're seeing his mind of killing somebody of wanting to kill somebody it's out of desperation for a way out of this situation it's not because he wants to do harm to somebody it's just that He's so desperate to get out of this situation that homicide is this little flight of fancy for him. Yeah, it just like, honestly just feels like a man who's trapped because like he's <laughs> such a pushover that yeah. like he, I, I don't think he'd ever like seriously ask for a divorce because he'd be afraid that she'd be like no no Henry. <laughs> but halfway through this thing. He stops being. You can see it happen. Mm -hmm. You can see when when this pushover goes. Okay, you know what? Now I'm actually gonna do it. And he starts standing up to people around him and start talking differently. Like, no, I am going to end this. Yeah. Now uh, asking for a divorce would have been another way to go. <laughs> I, I also love like we're jumping around a little bit on this, but like near the end, like after Henry's found his confidence and. You know, Wilma's or Billy's been taken care of, and he's like, he's pretty much like, you know, his, his friend is like, well, how do I know you're not gonna? Oh, how do you know I'm not gonna call anyone? And he's like, because I know you're not going to. And you know, he kind of threatens him. He's like, you're gonna play chess with me every day. And <laughs> I was like, oh, this new Henry is really ballsy. <laughs> and where some of the other ones, like I, I loved the practical effects in Jordy Farrell with the the fuzz growing everywhere, the monster makeup and Father's Day and something to tide you over. I found the 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 makeup effects in the crate didn't stand up to all the rest, 
but in a way that was still fun. Like it felt campier. Honestly, than the other one, the effects a little cheesier. If I would have done the crate, I wouldn't have ever shown what was in it. Right. Yeah. And because I think it, I, I think it works better just not quite knowing what's in there. And they never say it in the film, but I know like the creature in the crate is affectionately known as Fluffy in uh, for a lot of people who are fans of this film. And like I don't think I would have ever shown what Fluffy looks like. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have been more effective that but, way. But like the thing I liked about this one so much is just um, you know this character who feels beaten down, like he's had all of his his. Uh, you know, um, all of his strength, I guess, is probably the wrong word, taken away from him. Um, you know, college professor, well-respected, who doesn't feel respected by the one person he should, who, f- you know, finds a way out and, like, finds his confidence in this. And, like, even, like, you could tell, like, that you could tell that he was once a man who had a lot of confidence, who was once a a really strong figure, just by the way that he handled that first murder. When yeah. he, he came in, he cleaned up, he took charge. You could tell that he was once a strong, independent person. Um, this one, definitely not going to pass the Bechdel test. No, not at all. <laughs> not, not a great, like, not a great female character. <laughs> and she hasn't talked to anyone else about any, something besides a man, so. Yeah. Um, and that there was, you know... They clearly establish what her personality is like. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, it is what it is. But then, like, when he tries to throw her in, and at first it doesn't really work, so he's just weirdly throwing her under the stairs, then that that ridicule takes on a weirdly emasculating to, like, you can't get it up in bed. I know. It, it, it's like, whoa, that, okay, that's a weird time to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great, Henry. That was just great. You think this is a Friday night fight? Huh? Is that what you think? You want to see some real punching? Same old Henry. Afraid of your own shadow. You know what, Henry? You're a regular barnyard exhibit. Sheep's eyes, chicken guts, piggy friends... And shit for brains. No good at departmental politics. No good at making money. No good at making an impression on anybody. And no good at all in bed. When was the last time you got it up, Henry? Huh? When was the last time you were a man in our bed? Now get out of my way, Henry, or I swear to God you'll be wearing your balls for earrings. Like, it's, it's, um, I call it the Friday the 13th syndrome, where, like, it gets to the point where, like, because, like, in a lot of, in a good horror film, you, the fear comes from you not wanting to see characters die, where in this one, you're just waiting for her to, like, you're cheering on the killer to this extent. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, like, I just, like, I, it's hard for me to really put down, like, I don't have, like, a deep reason for, like, you did with the Lonesome Death of Jordy Vera, why this one was my favorite. It's just the one that, it just hit me in the right way. I had the most fun with, sure. and you know, it's like if I had to like, if I was making a compilation of anthology segments, like from a bunch of different movies and TV shows and whatnot, the crate would be one I would include. Nice. So, all right, that brings us to number five. They're creeping up on you. Ooh. Now, this one, I uh, again, I've seen Creep Show many times. 
on my rewatch of this, I got interrupted before I got to uh, this one. So I know the basic concept, but I didn't get a refresher on this segment as I did the other four. This one's not my favorite. Um, E.G. Marshall it, plays a character by Ups, named Upson Pratt, and he is a germaphobe. Unlike the others, this one feels more like a modern Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, and I feel like if... Uh, this would have been a Twilight Zone episode, you know, with the Rod Stewart introduction and being in black and white. Maybe I would have actually really enjoyed it, but, like, uh, I just didn't care. Like, I was, once again, I was cheering on the bugs. <laughs> go, cockroaches, go! Uh, I do have a funny story about that, though. Because um, I was curious. It's like, how the fuck did they get so many goddamn cockroaches? Well, they used real cockroaches that they imported from Guatemala. But that must have been a fun set to clean up. Here's the fun part about it. They um, they were unable to obtain a permit, the correct permits and everything. Um, so they only had these cockroaches for a temporary amount of time. So they didn't own these cockroaches. They were renting these cockroaches. So before <laughs> and after every take, they had to collect the cockroaches and count them to make sure they oh. had the correct amount of cockroaches and keep an accurate you... amount and count the number of dead ones and... Uh, they had to keep them all stored between takes. The fact that there is a place in the world that you can rent cockroaches from, I'm not sure. It, I either feel great about that or terrible about that. Probably both. Yeah. And they're like, you know, they're in that, that end scene where like the, the scene is covered in cockroaches. Apparently a lot of that is just like raisins and spray painted peanuts and whatnot. But like the fact that in between each take, like... Like, oh, we, we had 50 cockroaches. We only got 49. Find that other one. I imagine that's why the room was white. Actually, it was probably white We're, because he's so sterile, but, like, it probably worked out in their advantage. It, right. Somebody find, let's see. Roll call. Uh, cinnamon's gone. Find cinnamon. <laughs> I was going to go with Stan because I, I, had, I had the same <laughs> idea for a joke. Like, I like to imagine they gave them all, like, serious names. Stan, Steven, Jacob. They all... They all have a little dot of different colored nail polish on their belly. Where's Cookie? Cookie. Here, girl. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think Cookie made it. Well, add that watch, into the dead. Watch pile. where you step. <laughs> like I just, I think about that. Just like I, my my first instinct would be like, well, I'm changing this scene. What's the replacement cost on a cockroach? You know, if if you rent fifty cockroaches and you only return thirty five, like. How you know what's the what's the compensation? And why price? Guatemala? Why'd they get it from Guatemala? Like, you, there's no place in the United States where you can rent cockroaches. What about New York? <laughs> right, they got plenty of them. This is we're shipping all of our jobs overseas, man. Like hell, we, saw, we need. I know they we got, need they, U.S. based cockroach <laughs> rental places. They got a lot of mice in New York. When I was in New York, it just became a, ha a common thing just to see a mouse run run across your room. It's like, oh, there's a mouse here. Yep. It's probably a rat, but I like to imagine it was a mouse. Uh, Corinne, my wife, has uh, a mouse that has recently taken up residence at her office, and I have cockroaches here in the basement, so that's that's all something that I can relate to. Well, no, I guess now we have to remake that segment, but about two guys recording a podcast as you're slowly <laughs> being eaten by cockroaches. Yeah. It's very difficult being around these cockroaches. They were everywhere, and, you know, and he had to have them on him, had to work with them all the time. First of all, try to get 500,000 cockroaches. 
New Yorkers might say, oh, I can get them for you in a New York minute. But we had these entomologists from the um, Museum of Natural History in New York actually went to Trinidad into caves and brought back barrels of cockroaches, including these monsters. I think they're called Blabberus gigantera. They had their own trailer. We had to keep it sort of humidity and climate or uh, temperature controlled. So we needed to have the set completely sealed off the whole time. And did Hollywood spring for a slow cruise back to Trinidad for all the multi-legged stars? No, actually, the, the, uh, I think the, the health department or somebody made us exterminate them. I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Uh, I thought Upson Pratt was a fucking jerk. He was my least. He, out of all the terrible characters in this, he was the most terrible in my book just because I didn't, yeah. didn't like him at all. Um, well, and it you can start to talk about you know who's who's the the antagonist and who's the protagonist of that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, as the only human and the only one with dialogue, it's easy to classify him as the protagonist. But you know, it, at what point of you rooting for the slasher does the slasher become the hero of the piece? Yeah, like you that that becomes the argument with some of the later Friday the Thirteenth films. But like, it, this is also a weird one to end on. Like, it, honestly, I would have ended on the crate. I thought the crate would have been a better way to end this yeah. film. Uh, so maybe switch those two, just because I, I creeping even up on Father's you. Day. We talked about how that one didn't feel right up front. Yeah, that, that would have been a great one to end with. Capstone. You know, cake and such but uh yeah just like like there was a there was a definite gross out and creep factor of uh the creeping up on you but like other than like watching amanda squirm there wasn't much to it right and again maybe in a different context like twilight zone or something yeah. else it it may have worked much better and not just felt falling flat but i think with these four preceding it um it it felt maybe a little out of place yeah i agree like i feel like the twilight zone would have found a really interesting way to extend this yeah and add some interesting context to it, it just like i think actually something to tide you over would make a decent twilight zone episode yeah yep um so yeah that's well, all the that's, segments i'm trying to, that's a creep show yeah i'm trying to look over my um my notes if there's anything else i want to talk about I mentioned how this was Stephen King's first screenplay, and that's kind of interesting. Oh, um, there is a sequel to it that I that, in my opinion, is just as good. I haven't seen it, but I it's on my list. Um, uh, there's also um, I I appreciate that this film was all shot in Pittsburgh. Per oh, I didn't per know that. Romero's normal his. That's normally what he does. He shoots the majority of his films all in his hometown of Pittsburgh. And um, hmm. this is actually an interesting story. He talks about how he got his his first job in the film industry was working on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which was shot in I Pittsburgh. I saw that. Yeah, and that's awesome. he said to this day, it's the scariest thing he's ever shot. And everyone in Pittsburgh who wound up somehow working professionally in movies or film or television all started on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He hired me to shoot the, the remote stuff. Basically, it was little films that, that they would show. I did Mr. Rogers Gets a Tonsillectomy. To this day, the scariest film I ever made. And he was the first guy that really sort of let me, you know, have final cut 
and trusted me enough to, to do that. He's a, the sweetest man in the world. He's grown to be a very graceful cat. Still pretty frisky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because they were doing like, Mr. Rogers uh, gets his tonsils removed and they actually had like cameras to go into his throat. You see like his tonsils being removed and he says it's the grossest thing wow. he's ever filmed. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. But yeah, like the majority of this film was shot at Pittsburgh. Like I think something that tied you over was was like Jersey or, or something. But uh, okay, that was the one that popped into my head when you said it was all Pittsburgh. I'm like, where? I mean, you have some probably water nearby with the Great Lakes. I don't. I'm trying to remember the yeah. exact but like, and then, layout of it all. But that's a lot of sand for that area. Yeah, and a lot of it was shot like they used like um, a university. And like they used a lot, like they they used different rooms in it for like say like the interiors of Jordy Barrow's house and shit. So right, I don't know. I just think it's cool. And like like even like during the end, like when the the trash men are like picking up the comic book and like the neighborhood just does doesn't feel like you you watch a movie and it's supposed to be a quaint little neighborhood and you could, it's like this feels like a Hollywood neighborhood that's meant to look right. quaint. Like this felt like a real neighborhood that they just yep. they that they told everyone, hey, we're gonna shoot here tonight and. They Put just, signs on all the doors. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it you know, just felt real. There's there's a, a tangible quality to it. Didn't doesn't feel like Hollywood real. Um, I guess before we wrap up for the day, Nick, is there anything else you wanted to say about Creepshow or George Romero and his impact on filmmaking, or you know, just any about anything cool you've watched? Anything? Anything? Um, I talked a little about what I've been watching lately on my last solo episode. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch much since then with the convention. Um, and I talked a little about George Romero last time too. I, I, yep, I heard. Uh, other than just a, a thank you uh, sent out into the ether um, for the inspiration and art that he's brought. Um, uh, thank you for leaving us with these things to continue watching and thinking about and, um, you did good yeah and even though he had a, a, a genuine dislike for The Walking Dead uh, and his, uh, his reasonings never really held up for me I feel like he might just be a little jealous <laughs> I never saw his take uh, on he it he thinks it's kind of stupid to be honest okay. and uh I think he's also like he. I'm paraphrasing, so I don't think he ever right, said the word yeah. stupid. And he, all, I think he just also, you know, just feels kind of weird. Like you know, I've I've done all this before. Like why is this so that, popular now? And sure. And uh, he also has got a huge thing against uh, running zombies, which mm -hmm. I agree with him on. <laughs> but um, you know, I feel like the the people of The Walking Dead have a lot to owe to him. Yeah. No, absolutely. What did, you, what did you think of what was become of this Walking Dead thing? Uh, I wish they would have called me. <laughs> well, I heard they offered you to, to direct, direct some episodes. Yes, an episode, but yeah. that's once the Bible is written. Right. Uh, you know, so, and, so you and said no? Not much you could, I, yes, I said no, because it's not my thing. And in fact, I thought it was a little too close for comfort. And uh, so I've, I basically said no, even though a bunch of my buddies are working on it, right. Greg Nicotero and the boys from Sundance and uh, um, anyway. 
100%. And actually, I think uh, the creator of the comic book said that uh, the reason he created The Walking Dead is because he watched Dawn of the Dead and got sad when it ended and he wished it would have continued. Mm. So he said he wanted something nice. character-based weekly that would, con- or, you know, monthly, I guess, in terms of comic books, would continue on. Right. Straight, it definitely has that feel for my money. Mm-hmm. Well, I've kind of fallen out of The Walking Dead just because I don't have cable and um, I just... I think I've talked about this before where it's not that I dislike television shows. I just don't get amped to watch a TV show or an episode of a TV show the way I do about watching a movie. Um, That it's like I I put on, like I'll try to catch up on Netflix or something and I just, I don't want to say it was interest. I just, I I feel like I'd rather be watching a movie. Yeah. There, I I will say that, uh, I, I really enjoy watching, television shows um not any tv show but i i classify them in the same way that i classify movies there are good ones bad ones yeah um rarely do i get such a visceral reaction as i did with the season finale from last season but there was a moment and i'm sure those of you who watched it will know exactly what the moment is. i feel like i don't watch it but i feel like i still know what you're talking about where both my wife and I shouted and stood up, uh, just jolted up off the couch at the exact same moment. Oh! And it's like, and it's a good show. It's just my problem with it is, and like I noticed this. Oh God, I'm I I I am so far behind. I'm trying to remember like details, so you, you can tell me what season it is. I want to say it's like season four. Um, where it's like every time there'd be a really great episode. There was three or four where I was just like constantly checking my watch and like okay, right. And it's not sure. you know some people say oh they don't like the show because there's not enough zombies. That's not my problem. It's just like there, there's times where I feel like they're elongating stories that don't need to be stretched out. Sure, but you know like I, I don't dislike the show. There's TV shows I definitely uh, dislike way more, and I do like watching the show. I just I I think about it's like man. Okay, so each one of these is an episode. There's about 13 episodes. I could watch like... It's a commitment. I could watch 13 movies. Well, maybe right. not 13. Maybe like six. It's an hour and a half. You Ten. Know. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I, could watch, I could watch movies that I've been meaning to catch up on. And Absolutely. and then sometimes just like the, the pacing of a television show kind of annoys you. Because it's like right when it starts getting good, oh, you got to wait till next episode to see what happens. And it's like... <sighs> or it, or and I don't like multiple binging. months and I don't, I, if they leave you on a cliffhanger i'm not a binge guy i don't like to yeah. binge and it's probably because of my short attention span where even if, if i watch two or three episodes of something a day i swap i swap out shows because okay. i'm weird where i get sick of the same characters for too long or like if i have to <laughs> watch if i'm watching the same show like you know multiple episodes a day i just i don't know it becomes it be, if it becomes a chore i don't want to do it absolutely so like you know like i was really big in the stranger things when it first happened i watched only an episode a day yeah. Because like I want to savor it. When I really like something, I want to savor it. So, yeah. like a good steak. Yeah, diatribe over. <laughs> uh, I haven't watched a. Whole, actually, I've, I've watched a decent amount. I, I I tried to watch a couple movies I've never seen. Like I checked out Real Genius and uh, Serial Mom, two movies I haven't seen. I saw the decline of Western civilization, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, me and Amanda went to go see The Big Sick, new romantic comedy. Okay. that we both really liked uh and then i 
I'm a huge fan of Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yeah, it has the same kind of cheese and off-brand uh, status that the Masters of the Universe movie had. And then, like, it's disparate enough that you're like, okay, that's fun, but and the guy has the same name. <laughs> well, and then like, what's great about it is um, the U.S. doesn't have a Blu-ray release for it, but the U.K. does. So I imported <laughs> a Blu-ray of it because they had an hour-long making of documentary about like what happened on that film so i watched that it's it called it ain't no video game so i watched that and there were some stories let me tell you nice like bob hoskins really... but to this day well he's dead now but bob hoskins said if he could undo one project in his filmography that'd be it what a shame i know because i thought he was great but it's a good thing he doesn't have that power yeah because i i would uh i would like take anything else but super mario brothers <laughs> from my cold dead hands uh i think that's all i got nick this is probably one of our longer episodes i think yeah longer episodes together be... i think my my episode with brennan klein might have been a little bit longer than this okay but yeah it was uh I think with the uh, the breakdown structure that we had, you know, sometimes we'll talk about a one and a half to two hour movie and we'll kind of bounce around and then go, was there anything that we missed? Where this, we we had kind of five separate conversations after we talked about the movie as a whole. Yeah. And that contributed to that. I think it's a nice tribute to the man that is George A. Romero. I hope so. I hope so. Georgia Romero. <laughs> I remember, real quick, this is my last tangent of the episode, and then we'll wrap up. I remember, like, back when, like, internet forums were huge, I was on, like, yep. GameFAQs or something, and, like, there was every page, like, any video game you played had, like, a, had a general page as well where you could talk about anything. It didn't have to be the, actually the video game. Yeah. And where oh, someone was talking about, like, movies we had just seen, and it was around the time that I saw Night of the Living Dead, and I was like, oh, I just saw... Uh, Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, and one of the snarky, you know, internet guys came replied back. I don't know who George Romero is. I only know George A. Romero. I'm like, oh, I fucking hate you. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is what I said not accurate? Because I'm pretty sure his name is George Romero. Yeah. Just because he didn't get it credited that way. Like I'm thinking, I just, I, I just think of that scene from Jane Silent Bob where I like want to track him down and just go to his house and punch him in the face. <laughs> Every single person that left a bad review. That's <laughs> why so I can't couldn't read reviews. If I was a film, like did, if, I, if I if I was a filmmaker that got say, reviews, I could do it. Fuck Jane Silent Bob. Fuck them up their stupid asses. <laughs> yeah, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> little 10 year old jumps you're gonna have to bleep a lot out nick <laughs> yeah that's okay it was worth it <laughs> but uh i think that's all i got for this week me too um party on nick party on michael all right uh i uh, we wrapped up poorly because i just realized we never said that you know like you can find us on facebook and well, pretty much just Facebook, and then you can listen to our podcast <laughs> on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher Radio, soon to be Spotify. I'm working on that one. You know what? I I say let's just roll with it. We are we're still recording. Yeah. Well, I that was a fake ending. We faked you out. 
You can you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Michael underscore Vyers. You can find me on some of that stuff on I'm not sure because I'm an old man who doesn't understand technology. But I am on Facebook. So, like, just let us know that you're listening. Like, I, it's yep. great when people, like, personal message me and be like, oh, I love today's episode. Say it on the page. We, we need other people to know that you love the episode. Yeah. Like, what did you, like, just, like, what's a joke you liked? What's something stupid that, or what's something you, you cringed at? I'm sure there's some cringy Why shit. Why do you hate us? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and um, Shameless Picture Show can be found on YouTube if you search either Shameless Picture Show or uh, Midshore Community Television. And then eventually, once ever, whenever we get around to making a DVD, be available at Odd Obsessions Video. <laughs> we're gonna keep pitching that even though it hasn't happened yet it'll eventually be available we, we want a line out the door when that finally drops like it will be great <laughs> all right once again we'll see you all in about two weeks yeah we don't know what we're watching yet but you don't need to know yeah it'll be a fun surprise yeah. surprise all right have a good one nick you too